have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do. If you can open with me to Exodus chapter 25, Exodus 25, and this morning we are continuing in our Jesus in the Old Testament series that has us looking at how the whole Old Testament repeatedly gives us glimpses of Jesus, whether it be presently, whether it be through prophecy, whether it be in foreshadowings or types, and it shows us the redemption that God would bring to this broken world through him. And we've been walking through this series chronologically so far, but for the next two weeks, we're going to kind of go backwards, and we're going to look at, over the next two weeks, how Jesus is foreshadowed in the Old Testament tabernacle. So this morning, you should have got a little uh, picture like this on both sides. Um, This will help us in our time together today um, to navigate just a little bit. All of this is going to be different, I'm sure, but it's going to be good. So I want to begin our time this morning by asking a very non-intimidating question. I know oftentimes I begin by asking kind of a heavy question that weighs over us, but here's the question this morning. How many of you guys have ever been camping? Okay, so that's most of us. Now for some of you, this was your idea of camping. So this was how you did camping with just a tent sleeping on the floor on a sleeping bag. Others of you, this is your idea of camping. So your camping is in an RV, a a little nicer. I've done both of those, but um, I prefer this next method of camping. That that is, uh, and and that, um, love those ideas of of camping a whole lot better. But just a a little recap, The, the Israelites left Egypt, but of course they did not immediately go into the promised land because of their failure because of their unbelief, because of their fear of the giants who roamed the land that um, that God had already promised them. And because of their unbelief, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years before they were able to enter in. And so hence, God instructed them to build a a tabernacle, a temporary place of of worship so that they could worship God wherever they, they wandered. And the word tabernacle literally means to dwell or it means a dwelling place. Which begs the question, why did God need a dwelling place? Why did God need a specific place to dwell? And the answer is this, because God did not dwell in the hearts of humans until after Christ's death and resurrection, he would dwell in a certain place during the Old Testament. The tabernacle was a movable place of worship for the children of Israel. It's mentioned over 130 times in the Old Testament. It's where God met with Moses. It's where God met with the people in order to reveal his will. Interesting enough, when we see the Israelites camped in the desert, the tabernacle is always in the center. So the tabernacle was in the center. All of Israel is camped around it. It's almost as if God is saying, when I'm in the center... Everything is the way it's supposed to be. When I'm not, you better watch out. So God needs to be in the center. The tabernacle was where God camped with his people. And here's here's the bottom line of the tabernacle this morning. God wants to be with his people. God wants to be with us. He wants to walk with us. He wants to speak with us. He wants to carry us and lead us. Now, not that God lived in the tabernacle as much as God met with his people in and through the tabernacle. So just as they lived in tents for those 40 years, so God would reveal himself to them from a tent. 
So we're going to dive in this morning. Um, we're going to kind of start simply, and then we're going to be all over the place. So just hang on, but it's going to be good because Jesus is going to be the center of it all. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read Exodus 25, verses 1 through 9 um, together. And it says this, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution from me. This is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen, goat's hair, tan ram skins, goat skin, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil, for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and stones from setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as, as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. Let's pray. Father, we just rejoice in you today that you are a God who dwells with your people. Lord, you are above us, you are holy, 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 and all of your ways, yet, God, you are near to us. And we thank you for your nearness, Lord, and your nearness is our good. and It's for our good. So today, God, speak to us. Show us the beauty of the tabernacle and how um, it points to, to you, but how it pointed to Jesus. And help us to rejoice in that yet again. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Speak, O oh God, for we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. So the tabernacle was the vehicle by which God manifested his presence among the people. The tabernacle was used for 500 years until Solomon, of course, built the permanent place of, of worship in Jerusalem. But because this tabernacle was constructed like a portable tent, it could basically travel with the people during their wilderness wandering. So during their journey, they would stop, and as they rested, the tabernacle would be um, erected at the center of their camp, and there the people would see that God dwelt among them. And I want to take a little tour real quick, and I gave you kind of these, and we're going to take a little tour this morning just shortly, um, really short tour, and then we're going to kind of, kind of come back to this. But as you would approach the tabernacle structure, you would come to a fence that was seven feet high and you had one gate into the tabernacle courtyard, one entrance. To enter that gate, you had to have a sacrifice with you. You couldn't just say, well, I just want to hang out with God um, today. No, that's not the way you did it. You had to come to the gate. You had to have a sacrifice with you. That sacrifice had to be approved by the priest. So you'd go to the the gate, you'd have this sacrifice. The priest would take the animal. He would inspect the animal. He would, then he would bring it inside the enclosure, and he would kill the animal. So you would approach the tabernacle. You'd see this seven-foot fence with, with a door. And once you go into the courtyard of the tabernacle, the courtyard itself was 150 feet long by 75 feet wide. And entering through the gate, you would immediately see the bronze altar of sacrifice where the sacrifices were made, and then behind that you would see the, the bronze basin or laver has been called for, for washing. Yet the centerpiece of this whole court, courtyard was the tabernacle. 
And so we'll go to the next picture. You can kind of turn it over and look at the next one, which is a picture of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was 45 feet long. It was 15 feet wide, and it was divided into two rooms. The first room is called the holy place. That room is 30 feet um, long by 15 feet wide. And in this holy place was where the priests would go daily to perform their daily duties. The second room, though, was called the most holy place. Now, that room was only 15 feet wide by 15 feet deep. It's, it was a cube. Now, it's no coincidence that when we get to Revelation 21 and the holy city is described for us, it is described for us as a cube, as a picture of the holy of holies where God dwells. But into this most holy place, the high priest could only come and yet only one time of year on the day of atonement. So in the holy place, this first room, we had furniture. As you would walk in, you would see to the right, there was a table of showbread, which was a table that had 12 loaves of bread on it, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. In front of the veil that separated these two rooms, you had the altar of incense, on which incense was burned every day. And incense in the Bible is a picture of prayer. And then on the other side of the holy place was the menorah or the, the lampstand. So the tabernacle had one door. It had one source of light. It had a table with bread on it. It had incense burning. And just keep all that in mind because we're going to tie it together during our, our time. And then there was a veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And inside the holy of holies was the ark of the covenant. Now we're going to look at the veil, and the Ark of the Covenant next week. But today I want to place before you three truths concerning the tabernacle that ultimately point us to Jesus. And we'll come back to our, our maps here, so don't put those away yet. You'll need those at the end. But the first truth is this. The tabernacle was the dwelling place of God. The tabernacle was the dwelling place of God. God desired a relationship with his creation from the very beginning, yet unfortunately sin separated us from him, but God still chose a people to be his own. He delivered those people from, from bondage. He gave them instructions regarding how they were to interact with him, how they were to interact with one another, yet God didn't stop there. He came to dwell with his people. The tabernacle is the avenue by which God would encounter his people and his people would encounter him. Even though it was at a distance, they would still encounter God. But the goal was for God's people, the one who had just been delivered um, from slavery, to enter into a relationship with God, to experience God. He is the, the central part of their existence of who they are. And the tabernacle was to be central. Their, their, therefore, God's presence was constantly before the people with reminders hitting all of their senses. So all of their senses would understand. Just consider how even the, the stench of the ongoing sacrifices that were made in this courtyard would remind the people of God's presence, of his holiness, and of his centrality. That God is center. And then consider the tabernacle, this place of awe and wonder described often in the Old Testament for us. From cherubim that are stitched into the towering curtains to pillars um, that are overlaid with gold. The, the beauty inside the temple would have taken our breath away. 
Just the beauty of it would have taken our breath away. Yet aside from the artistry and from the engineering was something, or dare I say, someone even more spectacular. And this God said in Exodus 25, 8, he said, they are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. Just sit in that thought for a moment. God is saying of a sinful people, I want to dwell with them. I want to be with them. I want to reveal myself to them. I want them to experience me. Just think about it. Let, let your imagination try to wrap itself around the fact that according to Isaiah 40, we're talking about the God who spoke the stars into being. The one who sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. The one who measures the waters, all the waters of the world, in the palm of his hand. And that God chose to dwell in a tent built by mankind. That should just take our breath away at the goodness and love and kindness of our God. Who takes the initiative to come to us. God gave the Israelites a tabernacle as a visual picture of his dwelling with them. And every part of this tabernacle was designed to illustrate God's relationship with his people. Every single detail was designed by Almighty God and every detail pointed to some, to some aspect of the character or the work of Jesus Christ. So every, every aspect and one of the most con so what we have in the tabernacle is one of the most comprehensive, one of the most detailed revelations of Jesus Christ in all of the Old Testament. And oftentimes we we missed it. But let me just say this: God desires to be with his people. Whether you're desiring God today, he's desiring you. Whether you want him today, he wants you. Oh, that we see the beauty of that. The tabernacle was a dwelling place of God, but then secondly, the tabernacle was designed and planned by God. So the tabernacle was designed by God. It was planned by God. If you've ever bought some piece of furniture that required assembly, you know the importance of following the directions. Now, I love, I love Christmas. I love seeing my children excited about what they got. But I'll tell you, the, the worst part of Christmas was always, Dad, can you put this together? Oh, that was the worst. It's still the worst. I, I don't know why um, Malachi got a 500-piece Lego set this year. It was terrible. I mean, I almost lost my sanctification putting this thing together. I don't know who designs these things, but they're terrible. Here we are trying to follow the instructions. I'm trying to help him out. He wanders off. He's nowhere to be found. I'm putting this thing together for him, trying to follow the, the directions. But here's the deal. When we think about the tabernacle, think about anything that has to be put together, the pattern is important. It must be followed. And the worst part about it is being done and having all kind of things left over. Like, oh, I hope this doesn't, I hope they don't need this. Um, but every detail of the tabernacle was designed by God. It was planned by God. Look at the verses, verses 8 and 9. And let them make me a sanctuary exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. God is saying to Moses, I'm going to show you a pattern and you better follow it. So on Mount Sinai, Moses received more than just the Ten Commandments. 
also included were detailed instructions of how God would meet with his people. Thirteen of the last 16 chapters in the book of Exodus contain instructions in building this tabernacle. And here's the beauty. God invited his people to take part in the construction of this tabernacle. Now, God could have made a tabernacle in heaven and just dropped it out of the sky. God could have also designed a tabernacle and had the angels knock it out in minutes. But instead, God chose to use the unique giftedness and creativity of his people to display his presence. God chose to use people. Not because he needs us, but hear this, because he loves us. God uses us not because he needs us. He loves us. So the designs and the plans of God provided the opportunity for God's people to dwell with him. And God was very meticulous in how he wanted the tabernacle to be built. What types of materials had to be used for each different section. And because, because of the nature of God, each part of the tabernacle had a specific function. Because, hear this, God doesn't waste anything. I was thinking about that this week, and I was convicted by how wasteful I can oftentimes be. I can waste time. I can waste energy. I can waste attention. I, can, I, I don't waste a whole lot of food, but maybe every so often. Uh, but, you know, we, we are so wasteful. And hear this, God doesn't waste a thing. No circumstance in your life is wasted with God. No difficult experience in your life is wasted with God. He doesn't waste anything. But significant detail was given to the Israelites about how to build the, the, the tabernacle. Information about colors to be used, dimensions, materials, arrangements, even the tools that they had to use. And we tend to skip over these details like we skip over um, the, the genealogy list. Because in our minds they're irrelevant, but hear this, they weren't irrelevant to God. They're not irrelevant to God. Even names aren't irrelevant to God because they remind us that God knows us. And here, all of this, every specification, every item, every everything tells us something about how God wants to be worshipped. For hear this, God always has the right to determine how he is worshipped. In fact, worship that God accepts is worship that God orders. Hear that again. Worship that God accepts is worship that God orders, that God prescribes himself. You think about ways worship is prescribed in the word. I think about Jesus saying, Father's looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So God's direction for building the tabernacle were, were very detailed. And he wasn't trying to burden the people, but he was trying to show them his holiness, his presence among them and here's a very interesting thought the, the tabernacle and all of its furnishings are given more biblical real estate than any other single topic in the bible think about this 50 chapters in the bible are devoted to the tabernacle two chapters in the bible are devoted to the creation of the universe now why i have no idea <laughs> i have no idea but let me give you an amazing possibility. According to the book of Hebrews, what the children of Israel had in the tabernacle um, in, in a small primitive human scale was what heaven will be like. 
In Hebrews 8.5, in speaking of the priest, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the writer says this in Hebrews 8.5, they serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. The tabernacle, a copy, a shadow of heavenly things. The sacrifices, a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Priest, a copy and shadow of, of heavenly things. This is why, why Moses was warned, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern that's shown for you. Perhaps the tabernacle was given so much detail because in it is a glimpse of our eternal home. In it is a glimpse of what heaven will be like. And just a reminder, God will be the center of it all. God will be the center of it all. May you ask even today, I don't want to step on your toes, but ask today that God would deliver you from a, human, from a humanistic view of heaven. That heaven will just be a big family reunion. Yes, it will. But if God's not there, it won't be heaven. If Jesus isn't the center of it all, it won't be heaven. So may God deliver us from all these thoughts that we have of heaven that aren't worthy of the God of heaven. He is the center of it all, and he must be. He must be. But, so God gave Moses uh, precise instructions on how the tabernacle must be designed because not only was the tabernacle a shadow, a copy of heaven, it also, everything about it foreshadowed Jesus. Everything. What a design, what a plan. So the tabernacle was designed and planned by God, which leads us to the last truth, but it's a long one. The tabernacle disclosed the work and person of God. The tabernacle disclosed for us the work and the person of God, meaning the tabernacle find, finds its true fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. When Jesus came on the scene in John 1, 14, uh, John writes these words, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And when John wrote those words, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt there literally means tabernacled. That Jesus came, hear this, and he tabernacled among us, meaning that Jesus is the dwelling place of God with man. The God of the universe chose to live with his people in a tent of flesh by which Jesus wrapped himself in flesh where he identified with us, hear this, in every single way. He took the whole nature of human being fully, totally identifying with all the things that we have to face as humans, including what psychologists tell us is the most traumatic event of the human life, birth. And Jesus partook in it. He fulfilled God's purpose for the tabernacle as God with us. What, what we see here is that every part of the tabernacle was a symbol for Jesus. Every single detail of this tabernacle points us to him. If you start on the outside and begin to walk and move inward, you will meet Jesus every step that you take in every detail. Everything focused on him. It all whispers his name and it shouts his name. Just let me quickly show you. Think of the tabernacle as God's picture of the ministry of Jesus. And if you want to get your seats out again, you can so that you can Follow along in your mind of what this is. And you can kind of start with the, the, 
the fence around and the, the tabernacle courtyard. And here's the deal. It had one door. It had one door. So we're going to kind of show you a, a different slide up here as we're about to walk through some, some different things. Now, um, the, the one, Lori, that has just the, the one door and the, the bronze altar on it. And we're going to kind of walk through each step. So we're going to start with one door. And think about this. In Exodus 27, verse 16, it says this. For the gate of the court shall be a screen 20 cubits long of blue and purple scarlet yarn, fine twine linen, embroidered with needlework. It shall have four pillars and with them four bases. There was only one entrance into the court of the tabernacle. Not two, not ten, but one. Which is a reminder to us, don't miss this, brothers and sisters. Jesus is not one of many ways to approach God. Jesus is not um, the best of several ways to approach God. He is the only way by which we approach him. And according to John 10, 7, Jesus said, I'm the door of the sheep. I am the one. You must enter in by me. And you could only approach God through that one door, but not without a sacrifice. Blood had to be shed, which then takes us secondly to the bronze altar. So the bronze altar, and in the, the bronze altar we have uh, in, in Exodus 27.1, it says, You shall make the altar of acacia wood five cubits long, five uh, cubits broad. The altar shall be square, its height shall be three cubits. So the fire on this altar never went out. It burned continually. At the altar, the priest offered sacrifices as burnt offerings that were fully consumed by fire. And this altar speaks of approaching God by sacrifice. The blood of the sacrifice was shed for the forgiveness of the sins. And this altar, this first piece that you walk to, foreshadows the cross and the once for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon that cross for your sins and for my sins. For according to Hebrews 9.22, apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And Jesus shed his blood for us. He took your place and my place upon the cross. Then we come to the bronze basin. The bronze basin, we see it right there in the middle of the courtyard. And this basin held water and by God's, by God's command, the priests had to wash their hands and their feet at this basin, both, both before stepping into the holy place and before um, partaking in any offering or, or sacrifices on the altar. And this basin gives us a kind of a, a picture, a, a glimpse of, to the people of Israel of the washing away of sins. On a side note... According to Exodus 38, the bronze to make this labor, get, hear this, this basin came from the mirrors of women who were taken and melted down. And it made that. Now, I'm not going to try to get myself in trouble here, but one pastor said that it would seem that God is more interested in purity than he is in our vanity. But let me just say this about this bronze basin. It's also a picture of the word of God. For the word of God washes the word of god is water and hear this as a mirror shows us what who we are the word of god according to james 1 shows us a better picture of who we are for it shows us who we are to the very heart of us 
see this in the bronze basin. Then, now we enter into the temple, so, or the tabernacle. So you can kind of turn it over and see the, the full tabernacle picture. And we begin with the lampstand, what you would see right there on the left. According to Exodus 25 and verse 31, it says this, You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of, of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cup, its calyxes, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. Think about a lampstand. A street light guides a weary traveler home. A night light comforts an, an anxious child who's trying to sleep. A flashlight guides us on a dark path. Why do I say that? I say it to say this. Light is beneficial. Light is beneficial. And there was a total of seven lamps on this lampstand. And the number seven in the Bible is a number of completion or fullness. And the truth is this. Don't miss Jesus here. We can only be complete in and through Jesus. We can only be complete in him. The lampstand was also the only source of light within the tabernacle. And it was to burn always. Likewise, Jesus is the only source of light for the world. And he will be our light forever. For in John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In him is no darkness at all. No darkness in him. Then we see on the other side the table of showbread. The table of showbread, 12 loaves of unleavened bread were placed every week on the table to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. This bread was a reminder of how God met the needs of his people every day of their lives for 40 years in the wilderness wandering. Since leaven in Scripture um, was a sign of sin, this, le this bread is said to be unleavened, pointing us to the perfection of Jesus, who himself said, I am the bread of life. You partake of me in faith. G. Campbell Morgan said this, In the East, a table was always a symbol of fellowship. Thus, the people here were reminded of the possibility of constant and sweet communion with God. We have fellowship with him, the table of showbread. And then right before the veil, we have the altar of incense. And the altar of incense will come to symbolize, as I said, the prayers of God's people. Our prayers ascend to God as the smoke ascended in the holy place. And the altar of incense preaches a, a comforting truth to us, namely that our prayers ascend to God and hear this, he hears them. He hears our prayers. In Revelation 8, we get this picture of John seeing the throne and seeing the altar of incense. And at the altar, he sees the smoke. He sees incense rising and it's called the prayers of the saints. Our prayers are there, and God is hearing, and he is answering. Brothers and sisters, God hears you. Are you saying anything to him? God answers you. Are you giving him anything to answer? We, we have not, oftentimes, because we ask not. We must ask of God who hears us, who answers us. But it gets even better because the altar of incense is also a picture of Jesus interceding for us. 
Meaning, my heart and my mind don't always know how to pray, but Jesus prays for me. And He prays for you. And He groans for us. Praise be to God. So let me just recap this. The gate is Jesus. He is the only way. The altar is Jesus. His sacrifice alone makes us justified before God. The basin of water is Jesus. Only through Him can we be cleansed of our sin and receive forgiveness. The lampstand is Jesus. He is the light of the world and He lights the way to God. We should be led by His light. We should Walk in his light, and we should shine forth his light to those around us. The table of showbread is Jesus. He is the bread that satisfies our spiritual hunger, and there is no satisfaction apart from him. The altar of incense is Jesus. He is our intercessor. He brings our prayers, our petitions before the Father. Everything we see in the tabernacle was a shadow and picture of the one to come. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament symbols. Everything is fulfilled in him. Now I want to end our time a little different today. I want to end our time this morning this way. From the outside of the tabernacle, the tabernacle looked pretty ugly. From the outside, I mean, goat's hair, badger skin, ram skin covered the tabernacle. Nothing on the outside would lead you to go, Wow, that is beautiful. No, it was skins of animals. Nothing ultimately beautiful on the outside. But inside the tabernacle, exquisite embroidery, dazzling gold, a sense of fear, and the glory of God. It was plain on the outside, but beautiful on the inside. Why am I making this connection? Because according to Isaiah 53, 2, the Bible says, Isaiah says that Jesus himself had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Meaning to look at Jesus from the outside, you wouldn't see a supermodel. Every time Jesus walked out, the breeze didn't blow through his long hair, and it was like a shampoo commercial where his hair just blew in the wind, and Jesus just did that with his hair, and he smiled, and you heard, ting. That wasn't the picture. It wasn't that every time Jesus walked out, somebody, somebody looked at him and said, you know, look at that halo around him. That wasn't the picture. From the outside, according to Isaiah, nothing impressive, nothing attractive on the outside, but on the inside pure gold on the inside radiating glory on the inside compassion love mercy grace deity on the inside he was God walking in human body tabernacling with us and he is our perfect sacrifice he makes us clean he is the light of our world he indeed lights up our lives he is our intercessor he is our bread he is our peace he is our forgiveness he is our all in all everything about the tabernacle pointed to him so let me stop there and then say this how much of your life points to him how much of your life points to Jesus how much of your life points to your need for him 
How much of your life points to your trust in Jesus in all things? How much of your fulfillment is found in him? Is he the center of our lives in this moment? I read something this week, and I just kind of want to recap it and share it with you. We live in a world that tells us that we should fight back against all the things in our lives by loving ourselves more. And granted, I believe absolutely we should love what God loves. And God loves us. I, I believe that with all my heart. But here's, here's the message. Listen, inside we're broken. Inside we're ate up with fear and anxiety and worry and things that, that come into our lives. Inside, sin oftentimes tries to dwell. And the answer for what is going on inside of us is not more of inside. No, something must come from outside of us. And Jesus came from outside of us, even from out of this world. He came from heaven to earth to fix all the things that are wrong inside of us. Amen. And he gives us peace where there was no peace. He gives us strength where there was only weakness. He gives us forgiveness where sin once dwelled. We have been set free by him. Your, the biggest need in your life is not to believe in yourself more. The biggest need in your life is to believe in him now and to believe in him every day of your life. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. I'm going to go ahead and ask Brother Frank and the musicians to come forward. And we are about to sing a song, I believe, entitled Jesus Paid It All. Because he paid it all. He paid every last drop of it. In fact, on the cross, Jesus said this. He took the cup that was given to him. The cup that he said, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. This cup was a symbol of the wrath of God. And Jesus took the, the cup at the cross. He drank every last drop of it. He turned the cup over and Jesus said, it is finished. Why did he say that? Because he paid it all. He paid it all. All to him we owe. As the tabernacle pointed us to Jesus, may, may even in this moment, may we look to him and may we ask him to allow our lives, every part of our life, even the dysfunctional parts, to point to him, to point to how much we need him. So I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to pray today. And whatever the Lord is doing today, may this be a place of freedom for you to do what God has called you to do. So, Father, we come before you and Jesus, we thank you. That even a tabernacle, even an inanimate object points us to you. To Jesus, who you are to us. What you have done for us, God. It takes my breath away to think about, God, what you have done for me. You, Jesus, you lived a life I could never live. The life of perfection. You died a death for sins that I could never die because you were the perfect sacrifice. You conquered an enemy I can't conquer, sin and the grave. And that because I have called upon the name of the Lord, I am saved. I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray today, Lord, for any in this room who can't say that, that today would be a day of salvation. But also, Lord, I pray for those in this room that are children of you, that today would be a day that we we confess, Lord, we need you more. Jesus, we need you to be the center of our lives. That we, we need something from outside. We need you within to shine. 
and to take the broken pieces, God, and make it in such a way, Lord, that you use us in spite of our brokenness. Because it is through our brokenness, God, that you shine forth your glory from us. Lord, just have your way. Finish this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.